Please turn in your copy of the Scriptures to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 22 through 40. You'll find this on Pew Bible, page 381. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 22 through 40. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood. And put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god, either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and he must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offerings and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. 
that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Heavenly Father, bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of Your Word. Would You make Yourself known through it? For we prayed in Christ's name. Amen. Previously in the life of Elijah, the prophet summoned the king to gather all of Israel and the prophets of Asherah and Baal. There on Mount Carmel, he exposed the people's idolatrous indecision. If the Lord is God, then follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And those of you following in the evening series on the life of Elijah will remember the people's damning silence. They answered Him not a word. This silence was a sign of the people's slide toward apostasy. As a covenant people, they should have immediately responded, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. That should have been their confession. But they had abandoned the true worship of God and estranged themselves from the Lord. And as a consequence, they were becoming spiritually dead. They had lost assurance, and they were no longer confident that the true God is the Lord whom they should follow. Well, to resolve this problem, Elijah proposes a contest to the people. I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. The prophet uh, of the Lord, Elijah, he's identifying the participants in this contest. And he's drawing attention to the people that he stands alone. In contrast to the vast horde of several hundred Baal prophets, he wants the people to know that he is vastly outnumbered. The historical record explains why Elijah stands alone. The evil woman Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, had murdered many of the prophets, perhaps even most of them. Uh, yet the fact remained that some had escaped uh, by the helping hand of that righteous servant Obadiah. He had hid them in the caves. And so we might ask, is Elijah exaggerating when he says, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, I don't think he is exaggerating. You see, the other prophets of the Lord are either dead or in hiding. If any of them were present, they certainly didn't speak up for the Lord when Elijah called upon them to do so. They were silent. Some people will point to the remnant people mentioned in the subsequent chapter and say, see, Elijah is not alone. He's not the only one remaining. There's this remnant. Well, that remnant had not been brought out uh, from the apostate hole yet. And so for the purposes of our text here, on this mountain, in this moment, Elijah indeed stands alone. The prophet goes on to describe the nature of this competition. Let two bowls be given us, 
and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You see, this competition it's going to involve, it will require each participating team to offer a bull sacrifice. And yet this is no ordinary burnt offering. Putting fire to the bulls was a common form of worship, uh, both for the people of Israel and their worship of the Lord, and also for the worship of Baal. And so this is common between the two uh, religions. But Elijah emphasizes this putting of the fire to the bulls is going to be against the rules. Instead, each side must petition their God. Elijah says, you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so the God who responds by sending supernatural fire, celestial fire from heaven, to burn up this bull sacrifice, he will so reveal himself and prove himself to be the true God to the people. That's the contest. The criteria for victory is that the Lord himself, or else Baal, must light the fire of this bull. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Surprising to hear them speak suddenly after their silence formerly. Uh, But their willingness to accept the challenge here uh, should not be seen as any sort of endorsement of Elijah or of his God. Uh, At best, the people were unsure and undecided. Most likely, though, they expected Baal and his prophets to win. And yet, Elijah has confidence in the Lord. Perhaps he remembered those special times in redemptive history when the Lord had sent fire from heaven. It was when Aaron offered the bull during the inaugural worship of the service at the tabernacle that the Lord had answered by fire. When when David offered his sacrifice in the, the field of the future site of the temple, the Lord answered by fire. And again, when Solomon offered his sacrifice in the completed temple, the Lord answered again by fire. In each case, the Lord revealed His presence to His people and accepted their sacrificial worship by fire. But the question is, would He do so again here, in this place, for this people? You see, this is not the tabernacle. This is not the temple. It is not even the site of the temple. It's nowhere near the temple. This is on Mount Carmel. It's a high place, especially associated and known for being sacred ground for Baal. And moreover, these people have estranged themselves from the Lord by abandoning the true worship and embracing idols. Will the Lord reveal himself to this backslidden people? Will he accept their worship? Well, having proposed the competition with its participants and its rules, and having secured the agreement of the people, Elijah now directs the prophets of Baal to go first because they have the larger team. Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. This should be an easy challenge for the prophets of Baal because Baal's the storm god. He speaks in thunder and with fire. This is his home turf. His team is larger. And so, Elijah gives them the advantage of going first. The participants are not offering uh, their sacrifices concurrently. It's probably worth pointing out here, but consecutively. This is not a a live match between the two prophets at the same time, but it's a turn-based competition. Accordingly, the prophets who go first do have a great advantage. 
Uh, They get to choose the best of the two sacrifices, if there were any difference between them, and if they should succeed in petitioning their God to accept the offering, then Elijah might not even get a chance to play the game, so to speak. Uh, As soon as the altar is lit, then that God has proved himself, and the competition is over. And yet these advantages make no difference And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. The Baal prophets called upon the name of their God from morning until noon for several hours. They persisted in repetitious prayer. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. By invoking his name over and over, they they sought to persuade him to answer. But there was no voice, no thunderous sound from the sky. No one answered the repetitions. No fire fell from heaven. The prophets, in their repeated prayers, yet prayed in vain. So it is with all false religions. They also limped around the altar that they had made. Limping here describes... Uh, probably derisively, a liturgical style of dance, a certain sort of cultic dance ceremony in which the prophets of Baal hopped and hobbled around and on the altar. Uh, Interestingly, it's the same word used to describe the people of God earlier in the chapter. Israel's indecision then is is linked to this idea. Israel's indecision was as vain and as injurious as Baal's prophets' idolatry. They limped like them. Well, despite their great number and their going first and their persistence, uh, the Baal prophets yet failed to persuade their God to answer. And it's at this point Elijah might have publicly denounced Baal's existence as, as not being any existence at all. He might have said, Baal is no God. See, he has not answered. But that's not what Elijah does. Instead, he, he mocks the prophets for their failure. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Cry aloud is Elijah's command. It has the idea of shouting together with one loud voice. The idea is perhaps uh, Baal can't hear him. He explains, for he is a god. Uh, Baal's probably too far away or too busy uh, to hear. That must be why he has not answered. Either he's musing, that is, he's thinking about something really important. I mean, he's a god. Gods think about all sorts of important things. He might not have opportunity to get to you yet. Or he's relieving himself. That is, he's evacuating his bowels in the bathroom. Or he is on a journey that is traveling to or from the underworld. Or perhaps he's simply asleep and must be awakened from this period of hibernation. And Elijah's drawing from the, the myths and the, the cult surrounding Baal as he makes these, these mocking comments. Is this offensive? Absolutely it's offensive. Elijah's definitely making fun of the Baal prophets. He, he's taunting them. He's egging them on. Why? Because they are fools and worshiping false gods, worshiping idols is folly. He mocks the prophets really in order to expose the foolishness, the foolishness of it all uh, in order to teach the people of Israel that, that Baal is no God. 
He's nothing but an idol. He cannot hear and he cannot answer because he does not exist. But the prophets persisted. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. You see, pagan worship, it often involves self-harm and various forms of human sacrifice. And the Lord had forbidden all these forms of worship, but they were commonly practiced in the cult of Baal. It was according to their custom, as it often is in pagan religions. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. Uh, Like a timekeeper, the narrator records just how long the prophets of Baal continued. As noon passed, the Baal prophets raved. Uh, The word here describes a sort of prophetic frenzy, a behavior characteristic of these false prophets. In the context, it simply means that they, they were crying and dancing and cutting and bleeding all over themselves and all over the altar. And this continued until the offering of the oblation, which was probably about 3 p.m. Even so, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. The prophets of Baal were many. They chose and prepared and offered their sacrifice first. They did so with loud petitions and passionate actions. They persisted in their prophetic frenzy and raving all day long. It did not matter. It did not make a difference. Baal still did not speak with a voice of thunder. He did not answer by the lightning or fire. There's an important lesson for us here. Just because a belief is popular, and just because people believe it passionately, does not make it true. Just because many people believe in a God, this does not mean that God is true. Even if you sincerely believe and express your belief through passionate actions. It does not follow that your beliefs are therefore correct. The reason no one paid attention to the prophets of Baal is because the God whose name they called simply does not exist. But this raises the question for us. If Baal is not a God, then what about the Lord? Think back to the rules for a moment. It's the God who answers by fire. He is God. Baal's prophets have failed. But Elijah doesn't therefore automatically win. The the, the game's not over. The contest isn't over just because the Baal prophets failed. Elijah still must prepare the bull sacrifice and offer it to the Lord. He must still petition the Lord to accept it. And the Lord must actually answer his petition by fire. Look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. He commands the people to draw in, to come in close. What's he doing? He wants them to see and to hear and to understand what he is about to do and his explanation that goes with it. And all the people came near to him. And when they draw near, what do they see? Scripture says he he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. This altar is a, a symbol. It's symbolic of Israel. And this becomes more explicit in verse 31. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Elijah took 12 stones. Not 10, but 12. He took one for Reuben, another for Simeon, another for each of the tribes of Levi, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and Joseph. And in addition to these 10, he also took the two stones for Judah and Benjamin. 
You see, what's going on is he, he does not exclude, but includes the southern tribes. Remember, in the context of the Chronicles, the, the kingdom has become divided. And Elijah's rebuilding of the altar is an indictment against Israel that this is not how it ought to be. The kingdom should not be divided. And in case there was any confusion, the chronicler adds, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. What's his point? All the tribes of the sons of Jacob are recipients of the same divine revelation and the same covenant. The word of the Lord came to them all, saying the same thing, Israel shall be your name. The northern kingdom's calling itself Israel but it is not complete. And the rebuilding of this altar is, at one hand, an indictment against the division of the kingdom and also a, a beautiful act of covenant mediation where Elijah shows them what they ought to be. Elijah's repairing of the altar with 12 stones is meant to be a reminder to the people that the Lord called them to be one covenant community. Israel is not ten of the twelve tribes in one country. It's not even twelve tribes in two different countries. Israel is one people covenanted together for the worship of one God, and that God is the Lord. It's worth pointing out that Elijah built this altar in the name of the Lord, meaning under the Lord's power and authority and for His honor. Uh, earlier I asked whether the Lord would even be willing to accept worship in, in this place from these people given that they had abandoned the appointed place of worship in Jerusalem, given that they had embraced false forms of worship at Bethel and Dan with the golden calves, given that their indecision had been a sliding into apostasy and an embracing of idolatry of the false gods of Ahab. In all of this, they had estranged themselves from the Lord. Would, would the Lord still accept their worship, the worship of this people in this place? given all their sin. Here we have a hint, according to the chronicler at least, Elijah built this altar with a divine approval. This should lead us to believe and to expect and to hope that the Lord is willing, despite His people's indecision, despite their inclination towards idols, the Lord is still graciously willing to meet them where they are and as they are and to reveal to them once again who He is, the Lord, the true God. This is not a picture of the gospel, of the grace of God. I don't know what is. Well, having repaired and built the altar, Elijah then made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And you'll notice that the first altar for Baal had no trench. But Elijah adds a trench here, and we'll see why in just a minute. He says to the people, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And the people, they're, they're dousing everything with water. They're, they're soaking the whole altar with these four jars. Not once, not twice, but three times. And you can do the math. Four times three, twelve, representative of the twelve tribes of Israel. It's the same idea. It's a covenant act of mediation wherein the whole people of God are represented here. 
It speaks to the need for the kingdoms to be reunited, for the people of God to be one people under the Lord. And by the time they are finished, the altar is flooded with water, so much so that the trench itself is filled. Now, why does Elijah do this? Remember, the the whole challenge is about proving to the people who the true God is. The God who answers by fire, He is God. Well, if there was ever any small, slight possibility or chance that this altar might naturally or spontaneously combust, that chance is gone. Elijah, he's continuing to stack the deck against himself. Already he's been standing by himself. He's let the many prophets of Baal go first. He even gave them the whole day, almost all the time that they had for this competition. And now within minutes of the clock being run down, he intentionally pours water over everything. The only way this fire is getting started is if the Lord sends supernatural fire from his heaven. Well, Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He prepared the sacrifice. And now in verse 36, it is time for Elijah to pray. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. At the appropriate time, that is the time of the oblation, Elijah came near to the altar and he prayed, and he addresses himself to the Lord, calling upon him in covenantal terms. O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac, these were people who were recipients of the covenant, But where we would expect him to say ordinarily, almost everywhere else in the Bible where this formula occurs, Jacob, here he substitutes and instead says, and Israel. You see, Elijah is emphasizing Israel is a people in covenant with the Lord. First, he prays for the Lord's glory. He prays God will make himself known as God in Israel and that he would do so now on this very day, this day that the people would know that Elijah is a servant, a true prophet of the true God, and that everything Elijah has done and said has been at the word of the Lord. Now, I think there are at least two reasons why Elijah says this day. The the first is because he's zealous to see the Lord reveal himself to his people. Uh, It's out of a prophetic uh, concern for the people's souls. He wants the Lord to respond immediately to this prayer. Secondly, uh, if the Lord doesn't answer, Elijah's life's kind of on the line here. Uh, The King Ahab has been hunting him down, trying to find him and kill him. And if he does not uh, succeed in this work, it is very likely uh, that he himself will be put to death. You see, Elijah, though, wasn't doing any of this on his own. He wasn't making it up as he goes. All he did was, we're told, in obedience to the word of the Lord. What, What does it mean to follow God? That's the question we perhaps need to ask here. It means we take him at his word. If you hear what the Lord says, then do what the Lord requires. Uh, Without reservation, you hold back for nothing in your life. You follow Him whatever it costs, just as Elijah did. We are to worship and serve and follow the Lord according to His Word. The reality is we can't do that, can we? Not very well, not easily, not in ourselves. And neither could the people of Israel. You, You can't follow the Lord unless your heart is first turned back to Him. If your heart is turned toward idols, as the people were, then you'll never follow the Lord. You'll remain in indecision. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. 
You will either hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so what the people desperately need is for God to reveal Himself to them and turn their hearts and rescue them from their indecision and their slide into apostasy. And this is why Elijah prays for grace. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. See, this is Elijah's second petition. Elijah prays for the glory of God to be revealed and for the grace of God to be given. He knows his God is the only God who can turn the hearts of men. He knows, and so he prays, answer me, O Lord. The prophets of Baal were many, and they cried out loudly and cut themselves from morning till evening. But Elijah, you see the stark contrast between the two forms of worship. Elijah, with just a few minutes and a few words, he's done his work. He repaired the altar. He prepared the sacrifice. He prayed for the Lord's glory and His grace. And then fire of the Lord fell. Who is God? Here we have our answer. The fire of the Lord has fallen, therefore He is God. His glory has been made known. His fire consumed the burnt offering. And what's more, the wood and the stones and the dust, His his fires licked up even the water that was in the trench. And with this fire, we know for sure that the Lord has answered the prophet's prayer for glory and for grace. Elijah, he didn't have to coerce or compel or manipulate the Lord into answering his prayer. All he had to do was worship him in the way that he had appointed his worship to be made. And that's what Elijah does. Well, look at verse 39. The people saw it, and they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And before, they were silent. They didn't have a word to say. But now, by God's grace, they speak, and they confess, The Lord, He is God. This is, again, covenantal renewal language. And yet, we should wonder here whether this confession of faith is credible. You see, talk is cheap. Action speaks louder than words. Look at verse 40. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. You see, this is how we know. Elijah commands the false prophets to be seized and slaughtered, and the people obey him. It's a a first sign of their repentance. They showed their faith by their works. You perhaps are here this morning thinking that sounds a little bit extreme. A God who reveals Himself as a God of glory and of a God of grace, that's all good and fine, but do you shrink back when you see Him exercise His holy justice, His judgment? If so, then you simply do not understand the righteousness of the Lord, the true God of Israel. See, Israel is a covenanted, theocratic state. Enticing others to follow gods other than the Lord was a capital offense. Its punishment was death. There was no place for false prophets in this covenant community. Nor was there a place for those who follow Him. God be glorified in His grace, and God be glorified in His righteous judgment. This is a picture 
in one part, in the new covenant community, obviously we are no longer a theocratically established covenanted state like Israel was. We are a covenant community. We no longer exercise the sword for capital punishment and death penalty. Uh, but this is a picture of church discipline, especially of excommunication, uh, the, serious, the seriousness of falling away to follow other gods and embracing idols. Uh, more appropriately and finally, it's a picture of the final judgment. This is what will happen when the Lord Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. All those who have embraced idolatry and followed the false prophets, all those who have teached, uh, taught false God, about false gods, they, they will be judged in a similar way. The, the Lord will destroy them all. Let us be warned not to embrace the false prophets, not to follow after them and their false gods, lest we likewise be judged. Let me conclude. I think it would be a mistake to read this passage and think that we still need fire to fall from heaven. Sometimes people look at this and say, well, of course I would believe that the Lord is God if fire fell from heaven again. If He did some supernatural sign or miracle, then I would believe You'll remember that the disciples James and John in the New Testament actually once asked if they should pray uh, for fire to fall from heaven, and they were sternly rebuked for it. We, we don't really need the Lord to answer by fire. And the reason we do not need this is that He has already answered in a far greater way. He's given us a far greater sign for our salvation and the, for the assurance thereof. It's Jesus Christ, the better prophet, that once offered himself as the true and final sacrifice for sin on his people, uh, for his people on the altar of his cross. Uh, he was raised from the dead as a sign to all that the Lord had accepted his sacrifice. And after this, he ascended above the heavens to be seated at the right hand of God. And what did he do when he got there? It's from there, from heaven, that he baptized his church with his Holy Spirit and fire. Speaking of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Luke records this event in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples were all together, all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rest on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord Jesus, the Lord answered Elijah's petition by sending fire from heaven. That was appropriate for the context. It was well situated for that particular scenario because the contest was between the Lord and Baal, the storm god who often is purported to speak by thunder and by fire. But it was contextual to that particular situation. The Lord has answered Jesus' petition in a more appropriate way now by pouring out His Holy Spirit on His church. And so we should therefore seek to grow in our knowledge and our assurance of God uh, by listening to the testimony of this Spirit, especially as He bears witness to us in the outward and ordinary means of grace, the Scriptures. We don't need supernatural signs to grow in our assurance of salvation, of our knowledge of God that He is the Lord. Uh, We have something better even though it is more ordinary. How can you know the Lord is God? And where can you find strength to follow Him? It's by regularly and diligently attending to the preaching of God's Word. It's by participating in prayer and receiving the sacraments. The the Lord has promised to reveal Himself to His people in these ways. And so through faith in Christ and by His Holy Spirit, we will grow to know and to follow Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this 
record of your mighty works in redemptive history, how you revealed yourself to your people in a mighty way so as to rescue them from their indecision and their apostasy. And we thank you that you have rescued us by a more signal and great way, by the sending of your Son down from heaven to die for our sins, by the outpouring of your Spirit upon your one covenant people, and through even the sacraments, which we will soon participate in, Lord, would you continue to make yourself known to us that we would know you and follow you. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.